All right. Hey everyone, it's uh, David Barnett from davidcbarnett.com, the, the blog site, podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud podcast, the, the YouTube channel, all about buying, selling, managing, financing, investing in local, small, medium-sized businesses. Today, I've got a special guest. We've got Ty Crandall from creditsuite.com. And Ty is a specialist on obtaining business credit and we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about Ty's background, where he's coming from. And then I'm going to ask him what exactly he means by business credit, because there's all kinds of different ways that people might interpret that term. And uh, you know me, I like to get down to language and make sure that we're all talking about the same thing so that people understand what exactly it is that we're trying to do. So Ty, why don't you give uh, my viewers and listeners a little bit of a background of of where you come from in your work and business experience and how you ended up in this place today, helping people obtain business credit. Yeah, absolutely. David, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here. Um, so I actually started my professional career, I guess, in the military. I went right from high school to the military and I served uh, for four years and that was a a phenomenal experience. And I got out and I quickly gravitated to financial services. Uh, my dad was an accountant and I always swore that we never, it seemed like working with numbers was the most boring thing I'd ever do. But, um, but I really enjoyed it. So I got in on the consumer side and I did a lot with um, auto vehicle financing, got in on the mortgage side. And the first business I ever owned was a mortgage company. So okay. I was really at the height of the mortgage industry and we took off and things did really well. And then the whole thing collapsed, the whole you know economy crashed because of what was going on in our industry. And, you know, I had a business that went from being super successful to not being able to fund our customers' loans and our revenue was cut by 90%. And so what inevitably happened was that we started to default on some business obligations. And then in doing so, that carried over to my personal life. Those rolled into my personal credit, all my available credit, went away overnight. Um, they went and took our personal assets results. It was a huge learning experience and I had to rebuild from scratch. So I rebuilt, I got into the consumer credit side, helped a lot of people uh, building and, you know, working with consumer credit, um, built that company up. And then along the way, a lot of people started to ask me about what business credit was. And I'd spent 11, 12 years in financial services at that point. I really wasn't familiar with it. I was looking online. There really wasn't any information about it. And then when I really discovered what corporate credit, what business credit really was, uh, it was just a weird array of emotions that kind of went about me. I was frustrated that I didn't know. I realized that if I wouldn't have personally guaranteed everything in my business, I wouldn't have had all these problems that I was still trying to recover from. And I just didn't understand why there wasn't people out there where there was somebody out there wasn't teaching about this and helping others understand how this works. So at that point, we started offering business credit as a secondary service that quickly took most of my attention. I ended up having many offers uh, and I sold my consumer credit business and I've been, you know, working with corporate credit ever since. I've been really blessed to be here for, I guess, going on six years in this space. And uh, we've built a pretty good sized business now um, helping people build corporate credit and also access business loans and credit lines, which is what I do today. It's it's interesting because our our paths have sort of a similar kind of story because before the the great recession and the financial crisis there in in two thousand eight two thousand nine um, I was actually a commercial debt broker so I was helping people get business lines of credit uh, you know factoring facilities for accounts receivable commercial mortgages that kind of thing and and when that crisis occurred over half the companies that I was using as a source of capital went under. Right. And all of a sudden, 
like I, I had a good pipeline of referrals from the main street bankers when they couldn't do a deal for someone, they would send them to me because they knew that if they went across the street to the other bank, that other bank would try to take all their business. Take all their business right. And if they send them to me to finance a piece of gear, I would put them into a commercial lease or something and, and the other business would be safe. And I, when, when my lending business kind of fell apart, I ended up going into business brokerage. That, that was the term that I made at that point. Um, and then when I got out of business brokerage, I became, um, uh, I had a short stint with American Express where I actually managed uh, middle market revolving credit programs for those companies. And again, commercial credit. And, and that was the big selling feature that I had when I went in to talk to those people is I had to do oftentimes a big explanation you know, do you really understand your personal obligations with respect to some of the stuff you're using in your business? Because oftentimes people don't, they just, they have a relationship with the banker and they just sign their name when right. they're asked to, right? Yeah. So, so what, when, when somebody is in, let's say, let's think about someone who's in business today, who's got an operating business, what should be one of the first things that they look at when they want to sort of audit their own risk? Like where, where they stand today, where do they start? Well, I think one of the first things to know is that although a lot of credit issuers and lenders uh, try to convince us that we have to provide personal guarantee and personal liability, that's not really the case. I mean, we know, you know, Michael Dell isn't personally guaranteeing the credit for Dell, for example, but what your average small business owner doesn't understand is why that is. They think it's just because it's Dell or it's Apple or it's et cetera, and they don't realize that these companies are different only because they have financial savvy people that understand the things that a normal small business owner doesn't understand. It's until they get big enough to get CFOs and, and financial yeah. savvy people. So I think one of the most important lessons to learn in, in small business today is that one, there is a tremendous amount of capital available to small business owners. Um, it's increasing. So I can't say it's more than it's ever been, but there's more access and more different ways to access it than ever before. You and I both have been in financial services. So we know how this goes. What happens is when this happens, the pressure goes on the banks, the banks clamp down, you have Dodd-Frank and these other things that make it more restrictive and then other outside companies come in and find solutions and that's the space that we're in now you know alternative lending accounts for over 98% of business loans that close. It's not the SBA. It's not the big banks like it used to be in the past. And this has given people the opportunity to qualify for financing based on revenue and all these things. So I think, first of all, know that you have the availability to get money and to do a check, look at what your strengths are. Do you have collateral? Do you have good personal credit? Do you have cash flow? Figure out what your strength is because that can open up a lot of funding options for you. And second, look at anything you've provided your social security number on and know that that means you're personally liable for that debt. And then ask yourself if you're cool with that. Are you comfortable with that or not? And if you're not, then you need to know corporate credit, business credit's designed for a business to fund itself where you don't need to rely on the personal credit, where you don't need to provide those personal guarantees. And the more you're vested into building business credit, the more credit you obtain and the more financing and credit becomes available without that liability. So there's a few things you should probably check early on as a small business owner. In, in my experience, um, in some of the deals that I've worked on, I've often seen cases where uh, a business will apply for certain financing and maybe they have tangible assets in the business that support some kind of debt facility like inventory or equipment or whatnot. And what I've seen is that the bank will say, here, this is what we can do for you. We can give you this line of credit secured by your receivables and inventory, for example. And we're going to have to charge you this amount. But if we do it as a personal guarantee, we can then put it under the personal pricing 
and you're going to save, you know, several points on the interest. And, and I've seen the bankers entice people that way. And, and sure. people are like, oh, well, who doesn't want to save, you know, four points on, <laughs> on interest, right? Like, right. And, and I don't think that people really consider, you know, if, if the business, and don't forget, in a business, interest expense is an expense, right? It, it's, it's an expense. It's not like when you personally pay interest on a credit card, it's going to cost you more of your after-tax dollars. We're talking about a before-tax expense. And sometimes it's totally worthwhile to spend a few thousand dollars more a year on interest if when things go bad, the banker's reach has been limited because you, you haven't offered your own pocket right. on the deal. Well, David, I think you see what I see. I mean, you know, it's just statistically, right, the majority of businesses fail. We know this and we can quote studies from SBA or whoever it may be to figure out if it's 75 or 90 percent. It depends on how long a period of time you're looking at. But what's interesting is when I stand in front of large crowds, I'll say, how many of you think that you won't be in business a year from now, right? And nobody raises their hand. And I think that that is the problem is that, you know, being entrepreneurs, like we don't think of failure. It's not even an option. And I remember when I started my consumer credit business, I thought through all these things and planned things. And my wife, it came to me and said, well, what do you do if this doesn't work out? And it was just stunning to me because like that thought had never even entered my mind. I just had never thought of that. And I think entrepreneurs fundamentally were built like that, right? Like we don't even see a possibility of failure. And I lived through a world where at no, there's nothing I could have done to offset what took place, right? And I realize how little control you really do have when you think you have a lot more than you do. You experience the same thing. So I think that that's a big problem. I think that entrepreneurs don't expect to fail. So liability to them is no big deal because that really only affects you if you default on the debt and things go bad. And the mindset is that that won't happen. And so you avoid that. And what I like to tell business owners is, look, you know, if you have a choice to protect your family's assets, then it's irresponsible not to at least consider that option, knowing that there is an option. I didn't know there was an option at the time. And that's why I teach people that there is an option so they know. So that's the bigger problem I see is that people just don't even think about the liability because they don't think of failure. And that's why when given those choices, they go with the choice of saving money because failing to them, personal liability, personal guarantees, that's just an afterthought because it's only really an issue if you know, you default on the obligations, which people just don't expect to do going in initially. Yeah. So when I was with American Express doing revolving credit programs, we would, we would issue lines of credit to businesses and, and we would show them how we could extend their operating capital through, through different kinds of, uh, through pushing out their days payable outstanding. So, um, but we had certain criteria before we would even consider looking at an entity as though it were a business, right? Under right. a certain sales level, we're just like, yeah, what, what's the person's beacon score? Like what's their Equifax say? Because below a certain level, the, the organization just didn't, they just said, look, that's not really a business. That's an extension of this person, right? And so what, where do you see that minimum viable entity size being before those doors actually start to open for these opportunities? To do things what we, the personal. What we find is, is a lot of it is not as much based on your time in business and revenue. Those are basic things for anybody to get an idea of an established business versus one that's not established. When we look at what a lot of these algorithms that are being used by Amex and Chase and Staples and, and you know Amazon, there's just a series of checks they go through. And I think you have to start at the beginning. The way I like to think of it is when you fill a line item out on an application, every single one is being asked for a particular 
particular reason. So, you know, if you're putting your business name and it reflects you're in a high risk industry, which financial services is considered high risk, pawn shops, there's so many others, that alone can throw up a red flag. If you're using a home address or a PO box or a UPS address, you know, all these credit issuers have a database they plug into to know if you're using PO box and UPS addresses and that alone could get you denied. Walmart corporate credit card, a home address will, will alone will get you denied. If you're using a cell phone number, a home phone number is your business phone instead of a real business phone landline or even a virtual a voice over IP number, that can make you look incredible. Do you have a website? If they ask for a fax number, are you leaving that field blank or do you have a fax number? Are you using a, a Yahoo or Gmail like party dude 2018 at gmail address right or like yeah. which you'd be blown away that people do this you know they, they don't even have business bank accounts just you have to start at the visit the basic and the first step for us that we teach people with business credit building is a compliance check it's does everything you're putting on an application reflect that you're a legitimate credible business or does it not because you can control that perception if you're working from home you could rent a virtual address which costs much less than getting an office and have a physical address that looks like you're in a high rise building. When these algorithms look at that, that on, on and instantly makes you look more credible than using a home address. So I think setting up that credibility and a big thing that we see that gets people denied at banks is just incongruent information. What, yeah. what we're not used to as consumers is that in the commercial world, DNB, Equifax, Experian, they're pulling data from Yelp. They're pulling data from Yellow Pages. And so you have to make sure that your business name, your address, your phone number is the same across all these areas that it can be listed out there. Because when it's not, when it's incongruent and the name you put on the application is even different than what's up the Secretary of State, that one basic inaccuracy can result in a decline at a bank. It's kind of crazy. And, you know, for people listening to that, you know, the reason why these little things cause the red flags to go up is if somebody is going to give you your very first commercial line of credit for $10,000, even if they're going to charge you 10% interest, you know, they're going to be earning themselves like 80 bucks a month in interest and the money, they have to get it from somewhere. So they have a cost right? So they're only earning the spread. And how much time and labor and effort are you going to expect one of these lenders to put into examining and underwriting your file in the hopes of earning 30 or 40 bucks a month, right? And so, so the reason they set up all these things is because they need a quick and easy way to eliminate all the likely problem accounts before a person actually sits down and has to do some kind of manual process and examine and put some thought and consideration in because they need to earn a rate of return on that person's effort. Sure. Right? And, and from, you know, from the user standpoint, they're, they're just bad, right? The big bad banker. And, and I, in what I like to say is look, you know, banks fundamentally are bad. I mean, they're, they're government insured. They have to be conservative on the risk. And it might, that might not be the card issuers, but when you're looking at these banks, it's not, they have to be conservative in the risk. So, you know, in a lot of these cases, like you say, there's, there's just a checks and balance to make sure that they're dealing with somebody that's credible, legitimate, and not, it's the smallest of details. And when you make sure that, that the business, Business is set up credibly because what happens is you grow those things happen organically right I mean like we use a service called Yext it cost us 500 bucks a year 
we're to a size where that just, that's just not a big deal to us, you know, and as a small business owner, when we started, that would not be something we would pay, but we use it because it makes sure that all of our listings are congruent online. Well, when you're a startup, you know, you come in and you use your cell phone in the beginning and then you get a business phone, you know, so it just, the, it's fairly accurate. If you look at these, this criteria they're looking at, it really is the difference between a non-established business and established. But if you understand the rules of the game, it's easier to win the game, right? And that's what I think the biggest problem is with small business. They don't understand this behind the scenes like you do and like mm -hmm. I do. And so without that information, then they're just guessing. And so this drives my wife crazy because I'll fill out any application and I'll sit there for like five minutes just thinking about the answer. It's like, it's your name. What? It's your, just put your name. I'm like, well, you know, they could, this could mean a million things. But I now think about why they're asking me every question because I know that it leads to something. And I think that the small business owners, people need to do a lot better job of that, of why they're asking the question and make sure that what you're putting there just reflects that you're an established credible business because you can easily make yourself established credible by getting the website, the professional email and these type of things. So, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about things like banks and, and other, you know, financial providers. Um, we're seeing more and more of these fintech companies come out. And I, I mean, I did a video recently on my channel about an offering that happened to come up in my Facebook feed. And it was Scotiabank in Canada had teamed up with Cabbage and they had a new express lending program. And when you got into the details of the footnotes, um, it was fee based. And when, so on my channel, what I did is I took out the Excel spreadsheet and I started to show people if you look at this fee-based system, here's the actual APR that you're looking at. And they, they like to make it look like it's 1% a month. And in reality, that translates into 22% APR. And so what, what are you seeing with respect to these, you know, newfangled fintech people who are supposed to be, you know, championing the cause of small business to deliver this, these new credit options? Are they, I know that they're bringing credit to people who couldn't get it before, are you seeing that they're being devious in trying to, you know, mask the true cost of these things? And are they doing it in a, in a corporate name as well? Or, or are they still trying to get the personal guarantees? The business commercial world is wild, wild west, right? It's just not as regulated as consumer. And with consumers, there's a lot of restrictions on these type of things. So we don't see this. Um, in the corporate world, there's just not as many restrictions. So I think you do see it and you see, crazy APRs and rates. Like, I mean, I see 50, 60, 70% cost on the money that people are paying. I've been in finance a long time. And what I've learned is that rates really don't matter. And that sounds kind of crazy, but every field I've ever been in, the rate you get is based on your risk. You know, I can send you to on deck and I can get you an 8% interest rated on deck, or I can get you a 60% interest rated on deck. The difference is, is the guy that gets a 60% is lucky to get any kind of financing whatsoever because the credit is bad. The time in business is short. The bank account isn't being managed responsibly. So I have always looked at rates that you pay really based on the risk that's being that they, the, the lenders actually taking on the greater the risk, the greater the rate. To me, that's never been a big deal because in almost all cases, you're writing that off anyways. So to me, it just comes down to what you're using the money for. 
you know, if I look at something, would I pay 50% on the money I borrow? Absolutely. If I'm going to take a hundred and make it into 500 grand, mm. I would absolutely pay the 50% because if I wasn't willing to pay the 50% because my risk was so high, I couldn't get the hundred grand and I wouldn't make the 500. The problem is, is that when you're getting the hundred to get you through a slow time, then you're going about it all the wrong way. So if you're getting the money and paying more money for reinvesting into the into something that's going to make you a greater return, I think in a lot of cases, even paying the higher APRs and rates makes sense. And you're paying them typically because your risk is high. I think the focus needs to be on lowering the risk. You know, can you get financing with bad credit? Sure you can, but why live with bad credit? There's the Fair Credit Reporting Act, which has a lot of stipulations that say things can't be on your credit report. Challenge these things. You know, I think people need to be conscious that you have a bank credit score that the banks know and that they use and, and to determine whether you should be approved or not and manage your bank account responsibly and keep money in your bank account and keep that amount growing. That's what they're looking for. Build your corporate credit scores and improve your consumer credit. Um, as of being malicious in these type of things, I think that it's like anything else. They're going to do what they're allowed to do. And I look at that the same as in the mortgage to case. You know, we helped a lot of people with now looking back were crazy loans. But at the time, that's not really how I thought of things. How I thought of things was I have somebody that wants a home and I have a lender that's willing to lend money and their parameters, this person fits into these parameters. And my job is to make sure that I find people that fit within the lender's parameters and help link the two together, right? So now looking back, I'm like, wow, there was there was so much behind the scenes that I didn't know. I didn't recognize that these C paper was being sold at A and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but to me, that's kind of how I look at it is you're going to do what you can do with what you have available. And if it's not restricted that they have to disclose these things, then I don't know a reason why a lot of them would or should disclose these things. I think it falls into people like your place and mine to teach our following what to look for, to be cautious, to, to look at the fine details. And you have to do that. If you're willing to do that, you can prevent these unnecessary expenses. And if you're not willing to do that, you kind of deserve to pay them because you're not looking at the details you should be looking at. That's just my opinion. Mm. Um, you know, it's interesting. You, you mentioned there about borrowing to get you through a slow time. And one of the things I'm continuously talking to people about is that it's the duty of every business owner to make sure that you're making money all the time. And, you know, if, if you're in a business where you have a big Christmas and then January is typically slow, I mean, that's a very small period and you see it coming every year and you can plan for it. But when, when there's a decline and the profitability starts to go, one of the, one of the things I see happen so often is people don't react quickly enough part of the reason is they don't have the right information available in their business to let them know that things aren't happening right. And, and then they get into these situations where they go looking for cash because they think they have a cash flow problem when in reality they have a profitability problem. On the flip side, a lot of the times when we're looking at businesses that people have for sale and I'm working with buyers that are trying to buy them, successful businesses that have been around for a long time, almost invariably what I find is there's an excess of capital in the business. The, the owners of the business have this idea, well, if I keep the money in the business, then I'm going to save money on interest because I won't be borrowing to finance receivables and things like this. And, and I see it over and over again where these business owners, they, you know, you talk about risk, they've got all this money in the business that they should be taking out and getting out of this risk vehicle into less risky things, you know, whether it's, you know, buying some real estate or investing in whatever their financial advisor gives, tells them to do. 
and, and they're, they don't want to use the debt because they've got this penny pinching mentality. I think, I think it's great that you brought up the whole idea about you, you use the money in order to make more money because I think at the end of the day, it's not how much profit your business has. It's, it's what kind of return am I earning from my capital that's in this business? Right. Right. Absolutely. When the capital gets too big, those earnings go down and you know, people, it's like they, they, they're happy to deliver themselves returns. They would never be happy with from, from any stock that they owned. Oh, I agree completely. And I think you hit on a couple points. I think, you know, there's this misconception out there that banks don't lend money to people that really need it. And the reason for that is, is because yeah, banks don't lend money to desperate people. <laughs> because if you've ever loaned money to a desperate friend, you know, majority of us have done that have never been paid back because, you know, they have a million people to pay back before they get to you. And what it really comes down to is you have to secure money before you need it. And that's through revolving credit. That's through credit cards. That's through lines of credit and having that available. And, and you, when you are doing well, that's the time to get the money because that's the time where they see the money in the bank and they see the revenue and the responsible bank account management. And that's what gets you these low interest rate credit lines that you can reuse and reuse and have available when those slower times come in. But you have to be focused on the growth as a business. You can't borrow your way out of a bad situation you know, to save yourself. You have to find the underlying patterns and be able to make adjustments before things get bad. Um, without a doubt, those things are absolutely very important and necessary to do. And I think that there has to be a fine line in between. You know, what we've realized is we, we pour our money into growth and we grow it crazy rate. I mean, like we are up over 300% month to month of where we are the year before. But then what happened was we had a running into difficulties getting merchant accounts, which was weird for us because we have good business credit. I have good personal credit. We've got a great business. We manage our bank account more than responsibly. And what we realized was that they wanted us to have a bigger stockpile of cash. So what we realized was that in some cases, not having an extra account was a problem. So if you've ever read the book Profit First, that's exactly what we did. We created a profit account. We put the money in the profit account. We have dividends or distributions depending on the entity that you're in, but we still invest the majority of what we have into growth. And I still think that you could take a percentage, like you said, out of that into lower risk things because no matter what you do, inherently business lending is very risky. And going through what I went through in the mortgage industry, my wife and I are both I mean, we are both, you know, scared to death that, you know, anything can happen that could just wipe the business out. And we live in a world where lawsuits and crazy people that leave bad reviews and there's just so many variables that could adversely affect that. But unfortunately, as a business owner, this is the biggest asset a lot of people have and diversification, no matter what you're doing in consumer or commercial makes a lot of sense, which is why you have to be diversified, I think, into many areas if you could do so. So, so Ty, explain your business to the people watching. So people come to you, do they come to you when they have a need for credit or they come to you before that because they want to try to build this foundation to remove some of their personal liability? Like, like how does that look when you work with people? What's interesting being in the consumer and commercial credit side is that nobody ever goes and looks for credit. Not nobody, a ridiculously small percentage of people ever go look to address their credit just to address their credit. It's almost always because they want something. So on the consumer credit, nobody addressed it unless they wanted a car or mortgage. And then that's why they would show up at your door. Like nobody goes, look, my score is 670. I want it to be 690. And you know, here I am. Um, in the commercial side, it's just about the same. 
same way. What we see is that people are looking for money, and we have a couple different kind of, of, of clients that are attracted to, to business credit. One is people that just cannot obtain normal business financing. They just they can't, or some of them just don't want to provide the personal liability. The majority of them just can't qualify for, for regular commercial financing. And then there's the other ones that are pretty good sized businesses and they're trying to grow and not addressing their commercial credit eventually catches up to them. Mm. You know, they got a $3 million business and they go to get a $10,000 credit card and get denied because of business credit quality. And it freaks them out because here they are with a multi-million dollar business. And they're like, what do you mean I have bad business credit only to realize that, you know, the reporting agencies have populated a report for them and give them a failing score because they have no credit established. So those are really the two things the people that are in the starting phase and getting the business off the ground we see a lot of them and then we see a lot of people that already have established businesses that are trying to get lower interest rate capital to grow and not having established business credit is a barrier to do so cool well if uh, if people that are listening or watching want to get a hold of you ty what's the best way to find you Right to our website, creditsuite.com forward slash EIN. That's creditsuite, which is S-U-I-T-E dot com forward slash EIN. And there's a great free guide that maps out the steps of building business credit from building business credibility to getting set up with the reporting agencies to obtaining all different types of credit without the personal guarantee and without the, uh, the personal liability or personal credit check. Awesome. Thank you for joining me today, Ty. It was a great conversation and dug up some of my memories from, you know, back in my, in my, you know, debt brokerage days when I was working with business owners and, and some of the stuff I see all the time, still working with people trying to buy businesses and, and sometimes, you know, people who are selling and, and they get into the whole discussion about the entity and stuff. Cause sometimes the, the, the debts are part of the deal, right? Having the debts move over. Um, I want to thank you for taking the time to come out today. And I want to remind everyone who's listening, head over to davidcbarnett.com, sign up for my email list. If you're not already on there, And if you think that this video or recording, depending on where you're listening to, would help somebody else, don't forget to share it. Thanks. We'll talk to you later, Ty. Thanks, everybody.